Well, today I want to uh, bring to you Psalm 25. So please either look up at the screens or grab your own versions of the Bible. And so Psalm 25. Now we've been doing 22, 3 and 4. It's moving stuff. It's enriching stuff. It convicts us. And at the end of 24, David is having a vision of the ascended Lord. And in 25, he lifts his own soul up in worship. And we're going to see what form of worship that takes and how we should pretty much be doing the same thing. But I got a challenge. The first thing I want you to do is to not think about my puppy wetting this sofa. Just don't think about it. Choose not to remember the Fox Red Labrador, eight week old, Evie the pup, weeing on Rita's lovely sofa. Just don't think about it. Okay. And I'll explain why I've told you uh, not to think about it at the end. But I hope you're doing a good job of not thinking about it. And I do hope that me not talking about it isn't making it more difficult for you not to think about it, or is it? Possibly the strangest thing you've ever been told to do, but it is going to illustrate the difference between the Lord and us, one of many, but why he's fantastic. Um, so turn now to Psalm 25 as I try to now explain all that stuff. So David responding, and we're just going to see what the Lord Jesus ascended today, reigning over the UK in 2020, but also in the ancient church back then, what he does to people. Um, and basically, David just asks for blessings and forgiveness. Blessings and forgiveness. All week long, bless me, forgive me, uh, be my all in all. Um, have you ever sung, were you there when they crucified my Lord. This is David's version of that, Psalm 25. He's seen 22, the uh, brutality of the cross. He's envisaged by the power of the Spirit, Psalm 23, Jesus going through the valley of the shadow of death. 24, Jesus ascending back. And now he's like, man, it's as if I was there. And we're going to see the impact on David's life. Another question I've got for you is, is there anyone today who is truly worthy of trust? Who is truly trustworthy? Who we can truly look to for healing, body, mind and soul? And if not now, trust him enough that he will do it one day. Is there anyone? Have you ever asked that question? Maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you're tuning in for the first time. Is there someone that can be totally and utterly trusted. Psalm 25 basically says, yes, it's the ascended Lord Jesus, the sympathetic high priest, who's now sympathetic and understands us because He's been through it now himself and he's come out the other side. So he's the high priest sympathetic with us all. Jensen's back. Jens, you can't touch the camera. This is live stuff. Jens, scram. Not, I'm not touching anything. No, I know you're not touching anything, Jens, but there's a bigger picture here going on. 
Yes, I'm recording, Rita. So Jesus is the high priest, ascended. Now, um, it's actually according to, like, because it's his joy to ascend back for us. It's his pleasure tonight to be our high priest, to be our high priest. He actively and is constantly praying for us and bringing us, the church, into the presence of the Father in the throne room. With Jesus, heaven itself cares for us. Heaven itself is hearing about us and about our case, our lives, our sins, our guilt, our triumphs, our good works, all of it. Heaven cares. I don't know if you ever went to the pub. I'm getting the vibe that quite a lot of park enders are into that. Um, I don't know if you ever had a lock-in in the pub where it's just you and your little gang of friends and the landlord. And the doors are shut to the outside. Well, because Jesus is ascended, as we're going to see in Psalm 25, it's basically that church is now having a lock-in with the father of everything. The creator of the world. We are locked in now. After hours and forevermore. We, you believer, are locked in with Jesus. And I just want to remind us today to really trust and depend on the Lord. Because he's ascended. He's living. He's come through death. And he's going to bring us there with him. Like the lady in the video, how much does she trust? She doesn't even trust her salary. She's like, I'm trusting the Lord. And even if my salary ends, he still knows what he's doing. Um, Prince George, uh, he was born around the same time as my eldest son, Jensen. So I've always sort of watched and had quite an affection for Prince George. Because he looks a bit like Jensen, but nowhere near as good looking. But he's like that sort of frame and... And I, I just sort of, I don't know what I'm trying to say. I have empathy to him. I'm interested in him. And I'll never forget a few years ago uh, where the paparazzi was surrounding him on a pavement with his mum and dad. And it just became too much. And he just reached his arms up and looked up to his dad. And his dad scooped him up. It really um, touched me because of my own boys who often looked to me for protection and guidance and but it's like a christian arms reaching up now in psalm 25 i need you i need you there to get me through um it's a lovely picture so let's read one to three to you O lord i lift up my soul in you i trust O god do not let me be put to shame nor let my enemies triumph over me no one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame but they will be put to shame who are treacherous without excuse just as jesus has been kept from defeat going through some brutal stuff depending on the father trusting the father's will relying on the spirit just as jesus was brought through that now david looks up and he's like yep yeah, i can do that too in modern life, there's tons of things vying for our trust. 
to take us off in different directions, to win our affections and occupy our thoughts and minds and money and hobbies. But um, David here puts his trust in the living God because it's a God that lives. Um, if Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. It means there is no other God to turn to and depend on and trust. If you came to a crossroads and you needed directions to go the right way, and there was a dead person there, and there was an alive person there, even if the dead person was once a prophet highly esteemed by some religion somewhere, you would always talk to the living one which death couldn't hold for directions, for dependability, for salvation, for the way, for truth, for guidance. And so it is here with David. He puts his trust in the risen Messiah and David will never be put to shame. He will never be let down. Um, in my old church, we weren't too far from an estate in Port Talbot, the Sandfields Estate, and there's a great book out called Memoirs from Sandfields by Bethan Lloyd-Jones. She was a pastor's wife in the 1930s. Sandfields, the estate in the 1930s, was full of the most like evil stuff, crazy people, just outright sin and chaos. And But there is hope, whatever our situation is, even for the Sandfields Estate, because the Lord swept through that estate and in this great book, it says this, um, what could a man denied work, disillusioned by social callousness, do here but live for a day, deteriorate, drift and die? That was a paper report on the condition of the Sandfields estate. And it says this, into that desperate little world, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones had come preaching and as he preached the risen Lord Jesus, people realized even heaven is interested in me. And their lives began to be full of Christian hope and Jesus-centered joy. Same with David. Verse 4 and 5. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God, my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. What is the Christian life? What is the walk that we're called? Too many people put the cart before the horse and think rules, 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 rules. Got to keep them up, then I'll get to heaven. Good luck with that, by the way. Actually, what David teaches us here is he's like, show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths, Lord. Guide me because you are my God and Saviour. See, the very first thought a Christian have is has towards the Lord is love. It's not, oh no, um, I better do this today. It's, no, there is a person who is alive and has died for me and I love him. And then... We just learn his ways and ask the Spirit to help us to become more like him and obey him. But it's the person. 
when he grips us like he's gripped David and what he's done and where he is and what he's calling us to through our situations that we're going through now. We know the end because he is the person that is calling us and his eyes when we see him on that day, his smile that he did that all for me. What a day that will be when we see him face to face. Um, one of the greatest hymn writers ever is Fanny Crosby or Francis Jane Van Alstine was her other pen name. And, well, that was her name. And, and Fanny Crosby was her name. I'll get into it one day. This hymn writer, when she died, a friend said of her, and I'll never forget it, it's the greatest summary of the Christian life. She simply did what her saviour told her to do. I thought, yes, that's what David is trying to teach us. What a legacy that is. Just simply told, told um, she simply did what her saviour told her to do. Now, if you're struggling with following the Lord Jesus, Psalm 25 helps us because think of Jesus. Where did his ways lead? So he's like, teach me your ways, O Lord. All right. Let's just look at Jesus a minute. Where did his ways lead him? And where did the Father's ways lead Jesus? The answer is glory. That's where. To the right hand of the Father where he is seated now on high. That should fire us up to want to believe he's trustworthy enough to be followed. Here's John 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. So how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way. There it is again. Obedience, laws. Now it's bound up in this person. It is him that we follow. This wonderful God man, Jesus. And he is the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. The key thing in following Jesus is not that he barks abstract rules and laws and we are called to obey and there are laws in the Bible to keep. We're always though called to follow him. Him. And what is it to behave like him? It's to learn him and let him grab our hearts, his ways, his truth, his life. Jesus says on earth, Follow me. And now he's calling from the ascended throne room of heaven. Keep following me. Let me put verse 4 and 5 in a slightly batstone controversial way. When churches become God-centered or Bible-centered over Jesus-centered, they soon miss the mark. Because the mark is a person who leads us to God. 
So sermons about God this, God that, which could be any old God. It's just this vague notion of some spirit being somewhere. It's not that helpful. God is a father. And to know what he's like as a father, you have to learn about his son and how he was treated and how much the son reveals the father. Bible-centered churches, which just plants plaster Bible-centered all over their websites. What I find is they're not very Jesus-centered and they love preaching sermons about anti this group of people or anti that group of people or anti this church that believes in tongue speaking or that healing is for today, sermon after sermon against Catholicism and all of this stuff. And the people love it and they get the verses out to support that view and then it pretty much stops there. And what happens is so often with Bible-centered churches is they rest the Bible away from the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus-centered. And we use the Bible to get to know Jesus more and what he wants of us. Jesus-centered so that we can meet this the father, like the ancient church did at Sinai, as the son led them from their captivity in Egypt into the wilderness, then to the foot of Sinai to meet his father, that Jesus. That's what David is seeing. That's who David is seeing now. So let me ask some personal questions. Do you come to church because you think church is good for society and it sort of adds a bit of uh, you know, a, a backbone to the morals of the UK. All right, whatever. What really has that got to do with Jesus? My dog is moral. Well, what the older one is. What's that got to do with Jesus? It's just learned to behave a certain way. I might be shortchanging my dog there, but you get the point. Especially if you read Psalm 104. We'll preach on that one day because animals and the Lord, but no, I'll stay on track. Do you bring children to church because you like them to be cultured by Christian values? If you do, that's not going to last very long because Christian values are clashing and heading for a massive clash against what the wider society de uh, deem as moral. But if you do, what's the point? What, how has that really got anything to do with Jesus? If you don't want your children to fall in love with Jesus, what's the point of just learning vague Christian morals. You're just going to have well-behaved people who are dead inside. Do you come to church to hear your hobby horses reaffirmed from the pulpit? And are those hobby horses very rarely Jesus? Or shall we tonight say to the living God, please Lord reveal your son to me this week. Just reveal him. Son, Please reveal the Father by the Spirit powerfully in my life. Take me afresh to that person and may I bow the knee to him and confess my sins because they're blocking me from seeing him clearly. Lord, speak to us in that way. The person who has washed me with his blood. I want to see him this week and learn his ways. He is truth. He is heaven. And David sees that and then he gets really convicted about his life and how it has been imperfect and immoral and that he has gone astray, not from ethics, but from the Lord.
And tonight we say, as we sort of wrap all this up, we're in agreement with David. Yes, David, you're right. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. And when he says we've been wrong, we trust him and we agree with him. Yes, we have been wrong. And basically, verses 6 to the end is David being convicted of his sin. But I'm splitting this sermon up into two, so I'm just going to end with seven, uh, six, seven, and eight. Remember, O Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from old. Remember not the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you are good, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. Remember, Lord, your mercy upon us this week as a church. Perhaps for the first time, Lord, I'm going to call out to you. Show me mercy. Do not give me what I deserve, which is judgment and separation. In wrath, remember mercy. And now I want to come back to the first question. Have you forgotten did you choose to remember my dog whittling on this sofa no more? How successful were you? Verse 7. Remember not the sins of my youth. We're going to end with a belting point about the Lord. David asks him to forget his sins. To choose to remember them no more. In fact... There's a big difference between me forgetting something and the way that the Lord will forget something if he chooses to remember it no more. So, did you manage to not think of my dog anymore? All right. With your sins, you probably failed. With your sins, we have a Lord who loves us so much, he chooses to remember them no more. He doesn't forget or have a bout of amnesia about all the wrong things we've ever done. Such is his love, he chooses to forget them. Jeremiah 31, I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us today. And David just gets to tell the risen Lord all that. And the risen Lord's like, I'll pass that on to the Father. And together we will choose to blot out the sins of our precious church. And please, church, start to live more like me again this week. Have and choose life. I close with this. Verse 8. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. Why does the Lord forgive sins? It's actually because of his goodness that he comes to sinners and rescues them. It's because of who he is. Not anything we've done. Because he is upright and good. Therefore, he bothers to meet us and to guide us and instruct them on how to get to glory. What a saviour 
we have. We are going to close by praying together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The Lord bless you, keep you, causes risen and ascended face to shine upon you now and forevermore. Amen.